You're listening to the HR Happy Hour Show with hosts Steve Bowes and Trish McFarlane. Since 2009, the HR Happy Hour Show has been bringing you thought leaders, workplace and technology experts, academics, and more to take on the most important and interesting topics impacting work, human resources, technology, and the workplace. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net. Hey, welcome back to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name is Steve Bose. Great to be with you today. For regular listeners of the show, I'm certain you are getting tired of these weekly weather updates, but I'm not going to stop because as I record this show, it's Thursday, April 5th, and I look out the window from HR Happy Hour HQ, the home office here, and it is still snowing. It's snowing like crazy. It's ridiculous, and I'm now taking applications, I'm taking pitches to relocate the HR Happy Hour show to a warmer climate. That's official, so let me know. A um, couple of quick updates. Uh, the network is thriving, and no pun intended, or slight pun intended, the last show I just posted uh, just the other day with Pat Milligan from Mercer, all about the When Women Thrive Project and the research they're doing there to improve women's economic standing in the workplace. It was one of my favorite shows we've done in months, so please check that one out. Also on the network, find new episodes from the Human Friendly Workplace, Research on the Rocks, and We're Only Human with Ben Eubanks, and lots more great stuff to come. Just keep it locked into the HR Happy Hour Podcast Network. Uh, I'd like to thank our friends at Virgin Pulse, of course, sponsoring the show since 1985. Looking forward to next week going down to the Thrive Summit in Miami, where it's not snowing, I'd imagine. And uh, we'll be broadcasting one or two shows from there, uh, so stay tuned for that. Learn more about the event at thrivesummit.com and, of course, www.virginpulse.com. Last announcement for me, of course, check out hrtechconference.com. I'm putting together the conference. And a lot of the talk at the conference is going to be about today's topic, which is going to be artificial intelligence. More on that in a second. But check out www.hrtechconference.com. Use my code STEVE300 for $300 off your registration. All right, enough of that. Let's get on to the show. I said we were going to talk about artificial intelligence today, and we have been talking about that a lot on the HR Happy Hour, and I I know we're going to continue talking about that throughout this year in HR and HR tech in particular. I'm really excited today. We have a really special guest. His name is Joshua Gans. He is the professor of strategic management and holder of the Jeffrey S. Skull Chair of Technical Innovation and Entrepreneurship at the Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto, where I imagine it's probably snowing up there too. I'll have to ask him in a second. Prior to 2011, he was the Foundation Professor of Management at the Melbourne Business School, University of Melbourne. And prior to that, he was at the School of Economics, University of New South Wales. In 2011, Joshua was a visiting researcher at Microsoft Research. Joshua holds a PhD from Stanford and an honors degree in economics from the University of Queensland. And maybe more importantly for for this show, he's the co-author of the soon-to-be-released book called Prediction Machines, The Simple Economics of Artificial Intelligence. Joshua, welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. Good to be here. Great to have you. Are you in Toronto right now? I am. I am. And uh, actually, it's pretty pleasant out. Uh, But there was a little bit of snow this morning, but I... It didn't uh, didn't accumulate, so uh, that's what we like. Ah, uh, you lucky you. So, you, for folks who are maybe 
less geographically inclined. Toronto and Rochester are not that far apart. Uh, we're separated by uh, by uh, a, a large lake, but uh, not that far apart, really. If you have a big enough boat, I think you can make it across, uh, perhaps. In, in, in... This is true. <laughs> this is true. The lake discriminates. It sends all the snow south. Yeah, that's uh, true. You know where it's needed. I know. I'm, I know. I'm off topic already, but I was looking for something to do. It's spring break here where I live, and I was looking for something to do with my son. If I could squeeze a little time off and everywhere we thought to go that was close by was just way too cold and snowy. Then I thought, mm, maybe we can go to Toronto. At least if we go to a ball game there, they have a roof that they can close uh, and keep out the elements. But um, anyway, great to have you, Joshua. So um, uh, before we get into some of the ideas and the concepts in the new book, can I ask you maybe just to level set for us, for folks who are listening to the show, HR leaders, business leaders, recruiting leaders, what, what do you mean or what do you think about when we talk about artificial intelligence, because this term's kicking all over the HR space, and I'm not sure we all kind of have a common understanding of what it really means. Could you maybe share what what how you think about it? Yeah, so artificial intelligence, obviously, is a, a term, is an ambition to basically take human cognitive abilities and replace them with something much, much better. Uh, that is not the case right now. Uh, but we've had a recent explosion in artificial intelligence around uh, developments in machine learning, uh, much of which happened uh, only a few uh, hundred meters away from where I am right now at the University of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And this in the last decade or so um, has led to uh, machines being able to do a whole lot of things that people didn't think were possible in the near term. And so that has really generated enthusiasm for artificial intelligence. And the thing that we point out in our book, because, you know, this term gets bandied around, we actually look at what has been going on and what this new developments can do uh, and relate it to precisely what uh, people can do. In other words, you know, rather than thinking about whole brain replacement or something sure. uh, magical like that. It's really the case that these machines can now take on a function that was just really important, and that function is prediction. That is, it can take a whole lot of information and distill it down as to something that you uh, need. So you're worried there in Rochester about what you're going to do this weekend. Right. Um, we know what prediction is. A prediction's taken whether for the past hundred years it takes readings from around the country and globe, and it distills it into a forecast for Rochester for this weekend. Uh, that is something, obviously, weather forecasters have done, and it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of people to put those things together. But now, with these new techniques, you can take very large data sets, data sets that are perhaps even bigger than the data sets that we have to predict the weather, and uh, apply uh, computer automated processes to come up with potentially very accurate predictions. Yeah, that's and so these these are things that are now being done. And that, that's what we mean by artificial intelligence. Yeah, Joshua, thanks for setting that up and kind of explaining it too. And I, I, I'm interested you brought up, I brought up the weather, of course, at the top of the show and you mentioned it again. I, I know I read somewhere that, you know, maybe it was a while ago that the, the, the best predictor, the most accurate forecast of the weather, uh, you know, was basically what the weather was yesterday. Like if you yes. just if you just kind of said it'll be pretty much like except, yesterday. Except that 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 always was actually the case. Um, they used to have a thing um, 
uh, a farmer's uh, almanac. Yeah, right. Yes. Which used to be uh, uh, published, you know, weather forecasts for the upcoming season. And uh, basically it was, uh, uh, you know, and there's like a uh, hundred years ago. I mean, obviously that's really important uh, prediction that you'd like. Uh, but as it turned out that, you know, most of that was crap and the best predictor of next year's weather was this year's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you didn't have to buy this thing. So but now obviously that's no longer the case. Now, you know, we can do better than that. Yeah. that thankfully. Right. Right. And I remember that that almanac as well would tell you, like, what was the best day to plant, you know, plant your soybeans. Right. Like uh... exactly. It was, a, it was a whole bunch of uh, it, I mean, it, it, it obviously felt uh, a need uh, fulfilled the <laughs> need. But, you know, scientifically, it wasn't really. Yeah. <laughs> doing much. Yeah. Joshua, you mentioned prediction. Right. And that's the you know part of the title of the book, Prediction Machines, uh, the simple economics of artificial intelligence. And you talk about the the kind of A.I being a tool or mechanism a technology to to lower the cost of prediction i'd like for you to maybe help us understand that a little bit more right like you mentioned these right sophisticated computer models that may say uh predict the weather right and give you a forecast but expensive yeah. time consuming need huge hardware i'd love for you to talk a little bit about the reduction in cost of prediction and what you're seeing as ai is being deployed more more broadly yeah, so the key is that, you know, we normally think of prediction as predicting something about the future, but we do a lot of predicting in the way we just sort through information. So when I look at a, an image of something and can tell you and tell you what it is, uh, uh, that is a function that I have, but it's based on a prediction in a sense that I'm taking all this information from the image and saying, what's the, what's the best label for this? Now, previously, that was something that humans could do really well, the machines couldn't do. Right. But right. a few things happened. The uh, machines were able to sort of read pictures, not just a whole lot of bits, but how those bits relate and pixels related to one another. Uh, so you could actually, uh, it, it was contextualized, to use a, uh, okay, sure. probably the closest term. And secondly, we had the digital revolution that not only contextualized those pictures, but gave us billions of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, while it is the case that, you know, to teach a toddler what a dog is, you only have to show them a few dogs. To teach a computer what a dog is, you have to show them several million pictures of dogs and things that are not dogs. Yeah, right, and I was going to so, say, show them cats as well, so they learn that's not a dog, right? Exactly. And so, um, and then with each one, you when you train them, you say you know, a million times, this is a dog, this is a dog, this is a dog, this is not a dog, this is a dog, right, keep going, doing it. And by the time that's over, the, you can give the p machine a new picture with a dog or not a dog, and it can tell you mm -hmm. uh, more accurately than a human <laughs> wow. um, what is going on in it. Now, that's not, you know, revolutionary necessarily for being able to look at pictures of dogs, but that is revolutionary when you're going to look at the, a picture of, say, a, a tumor and you're trying to work out if the image is telling you whether it's malignant or not. And that's a whole other thing going on there. So you, the predictive function uh, comes up in a lot of different places. And in fact, so for things like images and some of these big data sets and, and what have you, it's just why why is this possible? It's just really cheap to do that right. now. It's cheap to do image classification. So we're going to do a lot more of it. It's really cheap to be able to take a, a word or a sentence in French and, 
and translated into English. So we'll do a lot more translation. You don't need a trans a person doing it uh, anymore to to come up with a very uh, good translation of something. Um, maybe not one that would satisfy an artist uh, fluent in both languages, but <laughs> for yeah. the purpose of communication. Uh, more than more than good enough um and then you um so you, you so that all of those are predictive functions um so that's one aspect of it so when you get a drop in the cost of something like prediction we will expect it to to ha have more of it and right. and that's of course what we're currently seeing uh but there's a second thing you also get is you start to you start to predict where you didn't predict before you start to see problems as prediction problems or reformulate them as prediction problems, whereas they weren't explicitly that. For instance, when they were trying to get dr cars to drive themselves, the cars would have some sort of camera. Right. And, you know, if there was an object in front of it, it would be told object in front stop, you know, and, and you would hard code that. But now, um, and this is what's led to the revolution, is that the cars are now able to suck in all this data as they've watched uh, their co, uh, you know, human-driven cars go around. And they've been able to teach themselves how to drive on the basis of that. So a car will stop when a pedestrian is walking across. It won't be because it says it's a pedestrian and be a bad thing to run that pedestrian over or have liability or whatever other thing you want or damage the front of the car. It'll stop because every other human <laughs> who's who it's watched drive has stopped. I, got it. I see. Yeah. So <laughs> rather than telling the machine or telling the technology, when you see this thing stop, it's more about from from sucking in millions of miles and millions of trips of data and seeing what people have done in those circumstances, they learn to stop or know to stop. I get it. Exactly. Exactly. And and it's so the interesting thing about that, it's precisely because we know a lot about what cars are going to be do, doing and, and, and agree to it. I mean, most people, you may not think so when you're driving <laughs> around, drive about the same. Uh, they do the same stuff. Uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to make this work that way. And, and moreover, it carries over. You know, when you're trying to teach a teenager to, to drive, they know that if something is in front of them, they should stop. That is the easy part that they've all got. But what they don't know is being able to predict that someone is going to come in front of them or another car is yeah. going to come. And that's what causes you to scream at them. I'm in the middle of that process cars, as, we speak, as we speak, Joshua. Last, this past weekend, I had my son out in, in an empty parking lot trying to – literally doing this and uh, I, I, fearing for my own life, honestly. There was nothing he could probably hit, I, I think. And uh, Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. But but remember, just think about it from the point of view of what don't you have confidence with? You don't have confidence that he's good at prediction. Right. You you know that if you quizzed him, he would know what to do, turn right, turn left, you know, in a situation. But you don't have confidence that he can pick out the full situation of what's going on, which is why you're currently in a car park right. doing exactly. this rather than on the road where it's even harder to predict stuff. Yeah. And a big element of that is the experience factor as well. Right. So I've been driving for a lot of years. Right. Yeah. And, and, and seen people drive for a lot of years. And, and whereas he is not. Right. Certainly right. I've been driving and, and, and has relatively less experience even riding. Right. And yes. as you talked about these technologies all becoming cheaper, right. Processing power becoming more immense and, all, you know, and cheaper storage. Right. No, nothing. Yes. Right. Storage is essentially computation. Free. Right. I don't want to yeah. say it's free, but it's essentially free. Incremental storage yes. is basically free. And 
the ability to kind of create more and more of these use cases or these experiences that, that the machines can learn from is it, just a huge factor. Um, Joshua, I'd like to talk a little bit about, and again, this is the HR Happy Hour Show. My name is Steve Bowes. We're with Joshua Gans. He's the co-author of the soon-to-be-released, I think in about a week or so, prediction. Yep. There will be a link in the show notes to the book as well. Prediction Machines, the Simple Economics of artificial intelligence. Joshua, I, I mentioned it before we, we started recording that, you know, this show's in the, you know, we're in the HR space. Yes. Recruiting, HR leadership, business leadership. And in fact, quite honestly, and I know you're listening out there, the folks who build many of these technologies for the workplace who are increasingly talking about and relying on AI to support lots of workplace processes. Lots of the people who are doing that and building those tools, Joshua, are listening. So I would right. love, uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about how these technologies are or maybe soon will be emerging or being deployed a little more deeply inside organizations. And in, in this context as well, I'd like to say, and then I'll stop talking. This is the longest question ever. But um, the uh, you talk in the book about uh, kind of decisions comprising two elements, right? The prediction, right, part of it, which we've been talking about a lot. Mm. And, that, and then the judgment part, right, kind of the the more human element, right, if you will, right? Yes. And so where people in the HR space, I think, are struggling with this is kind of balancing those two. So, and I know you, you've, you've thought a lot about this as well. So maybe give, give us uh, maybe some of your initial thoughts about how these technologies will start impacting work, workplaces, hiring, and, and the like. So the way uh, we think about it is that, and this happens with lots of technologies, it forces you to get to think carefully about what people do best and and things that we thought were bundled together, such as decision-making. They're good at decision-making, get unbundled. In other words, decision-making has two components. You have to predict some stuff, and then you have to, given those predictions and given the options that you might take in terms of actions, you have to be able to think about what sort of reward, what sort of cost from errors, uh, and things like that mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. might be part of it. Now, the computers now are getting uh, able to do the predictive part. Uh, the computers can tell you what a picture of an image is. They can tell you if a car in front of you is going to have an accident or not. Um, what they can't do is they can't give you the full uh, judgment. Mm -hmm. They don't know necessarily everything uh, in terms of what to do given that information. Now, the car one was a bit of a, a, a red herring in the sense that it was – uh, a situation where we actually already know what to do. <laughs> Given <laughs> a true. prediction, right. we know what to do. We can program it into the car. We can explain it to some child. Uh, we can do that. That's that's easy stuff. And, you know, in those sorts of situations, add the prediction element and you've got full automation and, and you don't need the person anymore, at least in principle. <laughs> right. In other situations, you have to take the prediction and then somebody's going to have to apply the judgment. So if you are sitting there forecasting the weather, um, you have to look at it's going to be snowing out. Should I what sort of boots should I wear, etc. Now, part of that is, yes, I'm if it's snowing out, I'm more likely to wear boots. But your decision is based on, you know, how comfortable it is with the boots. Where am I going? How formal do I have to be? A whole lot of things Right. that no computer right now can know all the uh, ins and outs of your own preferences. And. So you need a human to do that. Now, the same applies for people in their jobs. So they might get supported by a prediction, say, working out someone's being a credit risk or not likely to be a credit risk. And okay. they'd look at that. But they might also have, you know, 
Well, for this sort of person, we're trying to encourage young people in. So we want to have a bit of a different standard or something like that. And so that they will apply those different standards uh, uh, in order to judge whether this person should be denied credit or not. Uh, and this will also happen in and so we will see situations that what's interesting is that given predictions that forces you now, oh, I've got a prediction of this. I wonder what I would do with this prediction. <laughs> Much in the same way you say if you do the prediction, you buy a lottery ticket, which now opens up the prediction that you could win the lottery. So you now spend time thinking what you will do with the money. <laughs> <laughs> right. Something which is there's no point in doing prior to buying the ticket. Um, but in, in other situations, you'll get these richer predictions and you'll need people who are going to say, well, now that I've got this richer information, you know, what is my weight? What is the value I place on these alternative actions? Because previously I might not have even tried to take an action. It might have been too uncertain and I might have just done the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. But now I can exercise that judgment. And so you're going to need people with that judgment, which may be part of skill. It may be part being able to think through things quickly. It may be, you know, uh, that comes under the rubric of how well do you know how to use a prediction and, and know what it means. Uh, and or it might come just plain experience, as we've already talked about, you know, experience and and you know how to do these things, even if you can't communicate to another person necessarily why that's a good idea. You've learned enough to be able to uh, to mm -hmm. do that, to exercise that judgment. And so our expectation is that for people who are going to be working with AI, that HR managers are going to look for people who have judgment skills. Now, what, what that precisely means, I can tell you as an economist, that means putting rewards, et cetera, how that looks like when you're actually interviewing someone. Uh, uh, you know, that that is that is the that is another skill set that I don't have. Right. right. Uh, but that's what you'll be looking for. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I, I'm taking it back to the car example. Right. Which I think is a really interesting one. And when we compare it to some of the processes in the workplace where AI tools are being developed, so, like we know, like you, as you said, when the pedestrian comes out in front of you in the car, we know the answer is stop, right, or avoid, right? We 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 know mm -hmm. the result we're trying to train uh, or teach or uh, d develop, right, in these technologies to do. For one example, in in our in my space, which is which of these 100 job applicants is the one we should hire, right? That, ah, that no, challenge, yes. right, which is where there are, you know, I could probably list two dozen technologies right now that are at least marketing themselves as you know the ai powered way to help you yes. right now to make that and you raise and you raise a really interesting point um because uh, people in human resources tend to say oh these things ar is coming it's like a machine they don't really have people skills blah 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 but the way you've just described it there is uh, is is a good way in fact most of what hr does as a function is predicting stuff. <laughs> most of most of that is the job. Yeah. Now it's not clear that machines will be able to do all of that prediction anytime soon, but you know certainly in certain settings they've been able to do pretty well, and they can suck in a big amount of in, uh, information. They can remove some biases when they occur. I mean the entire movie, which was an HR movie called Moneyball. I know sure. you don't. Yeah. You may, it's an HR movie. You know, how do you recruit players to a, a ball team uh, was all about, you know, something more automated 
replacing human uh, prediction. Uh, and in some cases, that was a, a good thing. You know, it's not the most politically correct example as part of that when they said that, you know, when they look at a ball player and they say how attractive was their girlfriend. Right. Yeah, I remember uh, that part. Yeah. Right. I mean, and they use that. Well, you know, that turns out to be uh, doesn't influence on performance at all uh, when you look at the stats. So you take away those sorts of things uh, and hopefully improve decision making for HR that way. Yeah, there's so much of that. Just step back for a second. So you mentioned Moneyball, right? And I haven't talked about Moneyball in a long time, but it was interesting when that, not so much the book, because the book is probably 15 years old now, but the movies maybe seven or eight, nine years old now. When mm-hmm. that movie came out, Joshua, the, the two guys, the real life guys, who were um, basically the Brad Pitt character and the um, right. the other guy? Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, uh, Seth, Seth uh, Rogen. The, yes. the real oh, no, life... Seth Rogen. Jonah Hill. Jonah, Jonah Hill. Hill. Jonah Hill. Right. Sorry. Get those two guys mixed up. <laughs> but those two guys, the real life versions of those two guys, made the rounds of all the HR conferences. Like, right. just they. I I heard one one guy's name is Billy Bean, the main guy, the Brad Pitt guy. Yes. I, I saw him speak five times probably in an eighteen month period, right? To tell the to, to HR audiences about Moneyball it was really, really. I mean, it was great. It was interesting, but uh, it's right. funny I haven't talked about that in a while. And the the um, but it's true, right? So in this this hiring example that we talked about, right? Narrowing. I think what we're seeing, at least what I'm seeing so far, is the 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 technologies are getting really really good at helping organizations take the 100 or maybe even the 1000, right? Like if, uh, you know, if, if, if the right organization puts up the right kind of job posting, they might get a thousand applicants, right? And the the tools are getting really, really good at taking that 1000 down to 20, maybe. Yes. Right. That's not that, well, I don't want to say it's not that hard, but it's kind of not that hard because we can, like in the car example, we can teach the machines. Okay. If this person, you know, if we're hiring a data scientist and the person doesn't have one of these requisite skills or one of these requisite degrees or so on and so forth, we could say, say no, right? That's that's right. pretty easy to teach. But we can't get into is that that the judgment part of it, as you said, right? The where those really critical kind of judgments come in about, well, what is the kind of person we we like here? What is the nature of the other people who work here? What is the the culture of how it is here? And and how, you know, what are is this person really going to be able to learn new things because we're going in a new direction strategically as an organization and the machine can't figure that out. doesn't have any idea about that. Right. So, um, right. so it's interesting. I don't know if we're ever, you know, yet in, in the HR space and the hiring space and not just hiring, right. It's who to promote, who to give the next great assignment yes, to everything compensation. Right. right? It's a big part of it to, to make that last bit, that last mile, if you will, or, or not, or maybe we shouldn't. I, think, I don't know. I think the last mile, you know, you know, that's always be the last same as taking a person out of a car, it's the hardest thing uh, that will happen. And right. I, because the trucks are self-driving on the highways now, that's pretty easy. Yeah, they right? can. Uh, in principle, it can all be done, but you know, in actuality, uh, you know, a truck driver does more than just drive, and it's going to be a while for for them to be taken out. And and similarly, that last bit, uh, I you know, I can't imagine a situation that you fully automate uh, hiring and before you just say uh, to the so you've been successful top candidate just turn up to work um, <laughs> I, right. I don't think that's going to happen there I, I, and I think um, I think there's more you know depending on the level of this as well um, you know people have more and more interviews these days to make sure that they can function as a team 
Um, it may well be that you'll be able to sort out who's going to uh, mesh well with the team uh, sooner using these things, using sort of information, using information uh, from a targeted set of questions. Right. Uh, but I don't, uh, there's a couple of barriers to that. One, even if we can do that, it's going to be a while before we understand why why the AI is making the decisions it's making. And, uh, you know, my reading of discrimination law and all sorts of things uh, there uh, suggests that we would have, you'd want to know that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to do that. So uh, I think that that will take some time. But, you know, sucking out, you know, a thousand applicants and getting you quicker to a shortlist, I think that's definitely on the cards. Yeah. And, and we see that happening for sure. Um... It's really interesting. Hey, Joshua, the last thing I, I guess I want to touch on, and you kind of just mentioned it really quickly in, in, in your last comment or, or in some of your last comments, is around sort of ethics and bias. And now, again, trying to tie some of this back to the HR kind of organization space, right, where let's say, for example, we're applying an AI-powered tool of some kind to narrow a list of candidates or right. decide on a compensation increase or, or, or you know other things that we do in the organization. There is definitely some concern around this idea of transparency and perhaps yes. kind of the black box, right? And, and do you have any thoughts or comments about kind of how these technologies or how the people who are building these technologies can kind of, you know, protect from this kind of lack of transparency and the potential for I, bias? Because they're built by people yes. you know, and subject to their own biases as well. I'd love for you to maybe share a couple so the, thoughts on that. So this is, this is a, a solvable problem that's currently a danger. So it's currently a danger because the tools to do uh, come up with good predictions that work seem to work well right now are, are so powerful. It'd be very easy to start deploying them without them having that sort of better understanding under the hood. And so this is why, you know, in developing AI, you still want data scientists, social scientists and other people like that to be able to see what's going on mm -hmm. and to have a sense of it. And there are ways of doing that. It, it's, it's mainly a, a care issue. Um, so in other words, if you do as, you know, as, as some of our big silicon tech companies have done, rush AI out there, it's going to do some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, that, and that's useful and you can learn stuff from that. But you have to be uh, willing to uh, investigate whether it's doing the right things, whether it's not having unintended consequences. So it's 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 not a you can't just let it off the leash. Uh, you know, some of the principles that we've put in for good software deployment still apply for artificial intelligence. They're a little bit different about what we validate and what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would think for any critical function, you want to understand what the AI is doing. You want to understand uh, and have a sense that it isn't, uh, you know, it, it, it isn't doing something that is against your interests. For instance, they have these AIs go and learn to play computer games, and sometimes they end up learning a trick in the computer game. They learn, you know, the best way to maximize a score in a racing game is to go around in circles rather than the completing the race. Right. Okay. Now there's nothing wrong with that. That's an interesting discovery. But if your goal was to have things finish a race quickly and it so happened that the scoring of the game didn't get you that, um, well, you'd want to know it. 
<laughs> and you want to know it before you put it out there in the field. So those are the things that you still need to worry about precisely because, you know, in the, the example I just gave, it's because the thing you thought was a measure of performance wasn't. Right. And, and for an AI, they're still being judged on a measure of performance. And so if you get that wrong, you got an issue. I can't help it. I can't help because I'm, I'm of a certain age, Joshua. I couldn't help but think of the the War Games movie reference, right? <laughs> I, 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 no one, no one under forty is going to know this probably, but the you know the computer simulation war game, which was trained to win the game. That's the only thing it knew how to do, exactly. and that was the goal, right? And and then you know, hijinks <laughs> ensue, right, with uh, yeah. thermonuclear war. Great movie. Though, it's, by the way. it's 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 the fodder of science fiction, but really, it's one of those situations. That becomes real if I were to plug. I thought a lot about this about a decade ago when I wrote a book called Parentonomics, mm -hmm. which I guess HR managers might like because it was all about managing, uh, bringing up of children. Interesting. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll link to that. In you the can notes check well. that one out too. I've had some interesting. I had a guy. I did a show around employee benefits a couple of weeks ago, and uh, with a friend of mine I've known forever, and I had forgotten all about this. But a decade ago. He wrote like a, a, a guide for grooms to be the groom's guide to getting married. And it's, it's like a bestseller in like 18 countries. And uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. Hey, uh, this has been an interesting conversation, Joshua. Uh, the book, again, is Prediction Machines, The Simple Economics of Artificial Intelligence. And uh, Joshua, who's this book for? I mean, is it for all kind of business leaders, managers, developers of technology? Who's who's not, who'd you write not the book for? It really is for the uh, for people who in business trying to work out uh, how to th how to think about their company with AI? It's not it's not a manual for how to get rich from AI necessarily <laughs> and develop AI, and it's not a scare book about the Terminator and the loss of jobs. <laughs> Great. It's really about you know in the next uh, five years, this stuff is going on. How should I be thinking about it? That's awesome. And that and tons of people in our space, in the HR space, the HR tech space, are thinking about it right now and probably could use a little bit more insight, understanding, guidance, and just, just thoughts around it, thinking about it a little bit differently as well. And I hope, you know, from listening to the show, they, they've got some ideas to think about as well. And, and even if it's just they, they pull up uh, on Netflix and try to watch War Games again this weekend, that's okay too. <laughs> but, uh, hey, Joshua Gans, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the HR Happy Hour Show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. Awesome. And, uh, and by the way, just a quick update. We've been talking for about uh, 35 minutes or so. It's, it's still snowing here. Still snowing. For a second, <laughs> the sun was coming out, but I was wrong. So anyway, uh, thanks, Joshua. We'll put the, uh, the links to the book will be in the show notes. Uh, I want to thank, uh, of course, our sponsors, Virgin Pulse, www.virginpulse.com. And remember to subscribe to the HR Happy Hour, all the shows on the HR Happy Hour podcast network wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much for listening. My name's Steve Bowes. This has been the HR Happy Hour Show. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.